Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you need additional help on how to do that, we have a Next Steps page on our website that you can check out. Also, if you haven't been able to attend a service at any one of our campuses recently and participate in the time of giving, you can give anytime you want online by visiting our Give page or by texting to give. We hope that God speaks to you in this sermon. Take care. These are questions that you asked us to answer. We compiled the results from a survey we sent out to over 10,000 people. There are a lot of people who, who don't necessarily feel the permission to really struggle with these things and wonder out loud about these things here in church. Let's be gracious as we enter into these topics. Let's be aware of differences. Let's be open to what God might want to teach us. And let's approach each of these weeks with our eyes wide open. We say, I believe. I believe that Christ's death was for me. I believe his resurrection is my resurrection. I believe he paid for my sins. That's actually my hope and prayer for all of us today. That we would experience the Jesus that can and will radically change our lives. Cornerstone. It is uh, really good to be with you all today. Um, I actually, I haven't been up here teaching since June, and that feels like forever ago to me, uh, but I have good reason. I have actually been on maternity leave. On July 10th, uh, my husband Garrett and I welcomed our second son into the world. His name is Leighton John Fitch. Yes, and of course, I'm a proud mom, so I'm going to make you all look at adorable pictures of him. He turned four months old yesterday, and so here's Leighton. Uh, he's so cute, right? And man, feet are disgusting unless they're baby feet. Look how cute those feet are. Um, he has been such a joy. We have been enjoying our time with him. And big brother Hudson, man, he was in love from the very beginning. This is actually a picture of the very first time Hudson got to hold his little brother, and uh, man, they are best buds already. It has been such an enjoyable time, but I really am so glad to be back. And you know, I could think of no better way to jump right in than by getting to talk through the question we're answering today. Uh, the question of what is heaven going to be like? And out of all of the questions that were asked for this series, this is the question that I hoped, I prayed, I would actually get the chance to teach through out of all the questions. And the reason is, is because I'm 31 years old and for the majority of my life, I have not been excited about heaven. See, I grew up in the church and I remember, uh, I was probably six, maybe seven, and I'm in a Sunday school class and the lesson that day was on heaven. And, and the Sunday school teacher, bless her heart, she says, trying to, to, to describe for us what heaven would be like, she says, you know, you know what, guys? Heaven is gonna be a place where we just sing songs of praise and worship to God for all of eternity. And I remember thinking, what? Like, <laughs> wait, heaven is just gonna be singing forever? And immediately, I thought of this TV show that I watched growing up called Lamb Chops Play Along. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> See, this was a show on, that ran on PBS in the early to mid-90s, uh, and it was created and hosted by a puppeteer named Sherry Lewis. And every single episode 
ended the exact same way, where the main character, the puppet Lamb Chop, and her other puppet friends would sing this song. Check it out. This is the song that doesn't end. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. Oh, you know it. And know they'll continue singing it forever just because it is the song that doesn't uh -huh. end. Oh, no. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. That's enough, guys. Some Okay, well, let's cut it off there. What if I made you guys watch it for the next half an hour and that was the whole sermon? <laughs> that would be awful. You know, if you really enjoyed that, though, um, good news for you. There is a 10-hour loop of that video on YouTube. So if you don't care about your life or your time, uh, go check that out today. Uh, but this was my idea of heaven, singing songs that never end for all of eternity. Man, like, don't get me wrong. It sounded, a, you know, better than what I imagined hell to be. But, you know, not by much. Not by much. And so I remember growing up and, and seeing movies or TV shows try to do their best to, to illustrate what heaven would be like. You know, someone, someone would die, and then you'd see their spirit kind of rise out of their body up towards the skies. Uh, they, they, would, they would illustrate heaven as a, as a place kind of, you know, up, up there in the heavens, beyond the, the skies, where everyone's just kind of floating around, you know, and, and they have clouds and harps and white robes, and everything's very ethereal. And it was with this understanding of heaven that I just was like, man, heaven is going to be a sterile and lonely and boring place. And so growing up, at best, I was indifferent about heaven, and at worst, I was terrified of it. But one thing I knew for sure, I was not excited about it. And I would actually venture to guess that a large majority of people uh, sitting in one of our auditoriums across the East Bay, or watching online right now, or, or reading this as a part of CF Inside, that they feel the same way. There's a reason we're not excited about heaven. Now, it has nothing to do with the fact that the Bible doesn't have anything exciting to say about it, because it does. No, we're not excited about heaven because everything that our world and our culture, and yes, even the church, tells us about heaven, it's awfully boring. And so today, we're going to dive into this topic. This is where, uh, where we're headed. And um, I think, though, before we get started, it's important to understand I'm gonna do my best to answer this question. At the same time, we don't fully know. You're like, great, Becky, that's a great way to answer the question. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, like, I think N.T. Wright, who's a theologian, he, he says it this way. All language about the future is simply a set of signposts pointing into a fog. Right, we live in the Bay Area. We get what fog looks like and what trying to see through fog would be like. And, and, and so similarly, you know, the pictures we get of the future or of heaven or of our future selves, it, it, it's, it's complex and oftentimes unclear. The Apostle Paul describes it as looking through glass darkly. But at the same time, it doesn't mean it's just anyone's guess or that every opinion is as good as any other. And so I believe we, we although we can't fully understand, we won't know fully, we can know some. And so that's what we're going to talk through today. With this in mind, grab your Bible or open your Bible app. Turn with me to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. 
Revelation chapter 21. This is actually a book that was written by the Apostle John towards the end of his life after he received a vision or a, a revelation from the Lord. And chapters 21 and 22 are John's description of the heaven that he saw in this vision. So we'll start verse one of chapter 21. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Okay, pause there. Because in the Bible, the sea, it it represented the forces of chaos. It represented the powers that are at work in our world that threaten to undo us. Uh, that's why the psalmist says this in Psalm 93. He said, the seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. A sea equals chaos. And we've seen these forces of chaos present in our world today as well, right? I've got family who live in Thousand Oaks who have just been evacuated. And so between the fires and between the shooting this past week, there is chaos all around them. It's obvious that this is not how things should be. And John, he writes, hey, in heaven, the forces of chaos, they're gone. There's no longer any sea. He continues on, look at verse four. He, meaning God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You know, 2018 has been a year where this verse has brought me more hope than any other previous year. 2018 is is when I have been most pointedly faced with death and mourning and crying and pain. And man, I cannot wait for the day when those things are no more. John continues. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Okay, that sentence is actually my favorite part of these chapters, Revelation 21 and 22. And it's because of this word making. That word making, uh, it actually, it has a Greek tense that implies a continual state of making. It would more, it would more literally read, I keep on making things new. Or I am continually making things new. It actually addresses the, the concept of monotony. Have you ever, uh, who sung the hymn Amazing Grace, right? Most popular hymn probably in all of history, Amazing Grace, we all know it. You know the, the, last, the last verse of that song? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun, right? You know it. Watch out, worship leaders. I'm coming for your job, okay? <laughs> Have you ever been singing that song? And then you stop and think about what 10,000 years would be like. Yeah, it makes my brain explode too. I just, I can't even comprehend it. I like start, I cry myself to sleep when I think about eternity for too long. I'm like 10,000 years? And then it's like, we didn't even have 10,000 years. There's no less days to sing God's praise. Like forever? How is that not going to be boring? Maybe you can think of it like this. If you've ever had kids or you've ever been around kids and you're holding a kid's hand and there's another person holding the kid's other hand, 
What do you do every single time? You swing the kid. Yes, that's right. You swing the kid. We can't help it. It's like, oh, I'm holding a kid. Okay, swing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, come up after the service. We will swing you, okay? Everyone deserves to experience the joy of being swung at some point in their lifetime. It's fantastic. My son Hudson, he's almost three, and when we're holding his hands, uh, we'll say, ready, set, go, and then we'll swing him up, right? And immediately, like, joy and excitement and giggles will just burst from him. And then the moment his feet hit the ground again, the very first thing he says is, again, how did you know that? Because every kid is the same way. Again, 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 again. I've never seen a kid call off that game, ever. No, it always has to be the adult because they're like, seriously, my arm is out of socket now. That's the last time we're done. No, a kid, they love it. They can't get enough of it. They have an infinite appetite for it. Man, God's nature, it's the same way. God does not grow tired. God does not grow weary. No, God does not experience boredom and monotony. You you know, sin is what brought about boredom. Like monotony is a result of sin. And so when we're in heaven and there is no sin no more, there is no boredom anymore. There's no monotony anymore because God is constantly making everything new and exciting and we'll wake up every day and, and just like a kid who's being swung, we'll experience that joy and we'll say again, again, again. We won't be able to get enough of it. I can't wait for that. Turn with me to chapter 22. John continues on with this vision of heaven. Verse one, he says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Okay, notice all of the physically descriptive words that John is using. Right, he says that there is gonna be a river, water that flows, the throne of God, a great street, the city. This clearly shows that there's some type of physical nature to heaven. Like it's not just disembodied spirits floating around up in the skies. That picture of heaven that we often have, it actually comes more from the influence of Plato, the Greek philosopher, than from scripture itself. You see, Plato believed that physical things, our our human body, the, the earth were evil where non-physical things, non-material things like our soul and our spirit, they were good. And so the early Christian church was actually highly influenced by this view, by this philosophy of Plato's. And so even though we are beings with a body and a soul and a spirit, they believed, they, they kind of adapted this more spiritual view and they believed that our human, our human spirits, our soul would be better off without our bodies and therefore heaven would be some ethereal state. But that's just not true. In fact, the opposite is actually true. Scripture talks a lot about uh, what we would call our resurrected bodies. That, That we will in heaven actually have physical, tangible bodies. And I'm, it's actually too much to go into right now, but we talk more about it in our Beyond Sunday, Beyond Sunday podcast for this weekend. So check that out where we talk about what does it actually mean to have a resurrected body? 
Let's keep reading. John says, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Did you catch that? There are months in heaven. Like that means there's time in heaven. I mean, time may very well be transformed in ways that we can't presently imagine, but that doesn't mean it no longer exists. Again, this idea that heaven is just some timeless, spaceless reality, it's not true. John continues on, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night for they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. Okay, does this mean that there's not gonna be any nighttime in heaven? I don't know, actually, it's debated. But more than trying to describe literal night and day, I think what John is trying to do here is, uh, is get the point across, he's addressing the fact that to his first century audience that he's writing to, nighttime was dangerous. I think about it, nighttime was, was, was when you got robbed. Nighttime was when war started. Nighttime was when things went missing. And so I, I think, I believe when it says there'll be no more night, he's talking more about the safety and the security and the peace that continually being in the presence of God and, and the light that his presence provides, he's talking more about that. And then look at the rest of verse five. John ends this section by saying, and they, meaning human beings, will reign forever and ever. We will reign forever and ever. It actually goes back to Genesis 2, uh, when God creates humanity in his image, and he gives them purpose. And the purpose that he gives uh, to Adam and to Eve and, and to all of humanity is to reign, to rule over his created world. From the very beginning, God has given us the task of partnering with him in the work that he's doing in this world. And that wasn't just true back then in Genesis 2. It'll be no different in heaven, right? Forget those images of us just lounging around playing harps for all of eternity. No, we'll have work to do in heaven. But it's not gonna be work like some of the work we experience here on earth where it's like it, it can be frustrating and, and challenging and, and, and just a grind like to get through. It's exhausting. No, this will be work that we relish doing. For instance, think of the time like when you did the very best work that you've ever done. Like, like, like think of, of, the, of the things that you've felt most proud and accomplished in in your life. Think of the most beautiful thing that you've ever created. Think of the times when you felt full of, of the most passion and energy and drive and fulfillment in what you're doing. All of that is just a small glimpse of what our work in heaven will be like. It'll be incredible. And you know, we could spend hours and hours and hours going through chapters 21 and 22 way more slowly and discover way more things that John says about what heaven will be like. But if I had to sum up 
both of these chapters in just one sentence, here's what I would narrow it down to. Heaven is where we will experience God in all of his fullness and where we will fully be all he created us to be. We will experience God in all of his fullness in heaven. We'll experience the fullness of his love, of his joy, of his grace, of his creativity, of his delight, of his passion, of his goodness, on and on and on. But heaven will also be a place where we will fully be all that we were created to be. We will no longer be hindered by, by our, 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 the decay, the entropy of our body, or by the effects, the brokenness of our sin. No, heaven will be a place where not, we won't be shadows of our present selves. Our, we, we, will, we will be more ourselves than we've ever been. Heaven, heaven will be a place where we will work and we'll create and we'll rest and we'll play and we'll find significance and joy and peace and fulfillment more than we've ever experienced before. See, even though I grew up in the church my whole life, it actually wasn't until I studied this in college. When, when, I, when I studied m- more and, and what we went through just now in chapters 21 and 22 that I realized Man, my perspective of heaven has been completely wrong. It was in that moment that I felt for the very first time like I can look forward to eternity. I I, I can be excited about heaven. And if you've never experienced that joy and that excitement, that anticipation about the future that God has for those who are in Christ, man, I hope today is that day for you because it's exciting. Here's the thing though. As incredible as it is to have at least some type of understanding about what heaven will be like, I believe that all of this is greatly diminished. If we don't, fully understand where it is that this future heaven will take place. Here's what I mean by that. I think for a lot of us, we sometimes imagine this. We are here on earth. God and Jesus are up here in heaven. And one day we will die and we will leave earth and go to heaven and spend eternity there with Jesus. End of story. And, and it's actually because of this viewpoint where we kind of give ourselves permission, in a sense, to not really care about what's happening here on the earth presently. Because eventually, we're going to leave this place behind. We're going to go to heaven and spend eternity with Christ and the earth. It'll just kind of pass away. And so, you know what? I don't, I don't really need to care about the environment. Like, I don't need to be one of those crazy hippies that's planting trees and recycling and composting everything. Because, you know what? Eventually, I'm going to leave this place. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be with God. And it's just going to kind of pass away. You know, I don't really need to care about taking care of my body because eventually I'm going to die. I'm going to leave this body. I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to be with God for all of eternity. How I live my life on this earth, you know, it doesn't really matter because eventually I'm going to leave all of this brokenness, all this sin behind and I will spend eternity with God in heaven. As long as I put my faith and my trust in Jesus, I've got that ticket to heaven. And I'm going to leave all of this behind. Maybe we'll even hear people say things like, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. 
My home is in heaven. And while that sounds nice and even spiritual and true, it's actually only half true. Okay, stick with me on this. You guys ready? Because this is going to get a little confusing. Yes, I believe if I were to die today, I would go to heaven and I would be in the presence of God and Jesus immediately. Scripture shows us that. One example is Luke 23 where Jesus, he's hanging on the cross. He's, he's, his death is closing in and he says to the criminal hanging next to him, hey, today you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. So yes, when a believer dies, they leave this earth, they go to heaven and they are in the presence of God. Whatever heaven may be, they go there and they're in the presence of God and Jesus. However, this heaven, what I would call present heaven, Scripture says that's not the way heaven's gonna be for all of eternity. That there's a different type of heaven, what I would call an eternal heaven that will actually be our final home. See, think back to uh, Genesis 1 and 2 for a minute. The creation account, where God, he creates the world and then he creates the animals and the plants and the trees and the land and the sun and the moon and the stars and everything and he looks at his creation and he says what? It is good. And then he actually takes dust of the earth and he forms man. He forms man from the earth and for the earth. And then he says what? It is good. We're created from the earth and for the earth. The earth has always been our home. See, God, he could have taken Adam and Eve up to his realm to walk with him up there, but instead he came down to walk with them in theirs. And yes, our earth is broken by the, by the effects of sin, but God has a purpose to make it right. God has a plan to make it right and good once again. And we see this most clearly in Revelation 21, the passage we just looked at, where John, he's giving us a picture, not of what I would call present heaven, but, what of, but of what I would call eternal heaven. Go back to chapter 21, verse one. John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth or the present, or for the first heaven or the present heaven and the first earth or present earth as we know it had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God's plan was never to abandon his creation, but to restore it. God's purpose was never to just rescue humanity from the earth and take them up to live with him for eternity in heaven. No, his plan has always been to redeem humanity and the earth to redeem and restore humanity and all of creation along with us and then to come and dwell with us here. We're getting ready to enter the Christmas season. We're about to uh, head into the time of year where we celebrate that Jesus came to earth, that he is Emmanuel, 
which literally means God with us. And what was true then is still true now, and it's gonna be true for all of eternity. It is not us with God, it is God with us. It sounds similar, they're very different. God's plan has always been to bring heaven here to earth. His plan has always been to come here and dwell with us. The language that Jesus uses is that he's, he's bringing the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, or in other words, the realm, the reign, the fullness of all that God is here to earth. In fact, Jesus says that this is the very reason why he came to earth. Look at this, look at Luke 4. These are the words of Christ. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God because that is why I was sent. Jesus didn't come so that anyone who believes in him will get a ticket to heaven. No, Jesus came so that he could usher in the kingdom of God here on earth. And when he arrived here on this planet over 2,000 years ago, he brought the kingdom of God with him. That now there's no longer this divide between heaven and earth, but Jesus has started the process of bringing the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. That's why he went around healing the sick and casting out demons and forgiving sins and raising the dead because he was doing the work of restoring and redeeming humanity and all of creation. Jesus was doing up close in the present what he promised to do long-term in the future. And then when Jesus, he died and he rose again, before he ascended into heaven, he gave his followers a mission. And the mission that he gave them was to try to get as many people as they can up into heaven. No. The mission that he gave his followers is for them to continue the work of getting heaven here to earth. To continue the work of bringing the kingdom of heaven here to earth. Take the Lord's Prayer, for example. Matthew 6, when Jesus says, hey, you want to know how you should pray? Pray that God's will would be done. That his kingdom would come. What? On earth as it is in heaven. That's always been the plan to bring the kingdom of God here to earth, to bring heaven here to earth. And anyone who's chosen to follow Christ, we have this important part to play in building the kingdom of God here on earth. Not in the future after we die, but right now. Like, think about it. We get to actively participate in eternity now. We get to actively bring heaven here now. And we do that while, while living in the full confidence that one day Christ will return. We refer to it as the second coming of Christ. And when he returns, the, the, the process of bringing heaven here to earth will be complete. He will come and he will fully combine heaven and earth and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and they will be one in the same dimension. There will no longer be separation. But heaven will come here to earth and God will come here and dwell with us for eternity. This is eternal heaven, not up here in the skies. No, here on planet earth that's been fully redeemed and restored. 
You know, if this is true, if this is true that God's plan all along has been not to just redeem and restore humanity and then take us to heaven, but to actually bring heaven here to earth and redeem and restore all of his creation, if this is true, then what that means that is how we live our lives presently matters. It matters. We aren't just buying time on this earth until we get to go to heaven. What we do now carries over for all of eternity. And I don't even fully understand like how that is gonna work out. But scripture is clear that the things we do now, the way we live our life, the decisions that we make, the relationships we build, will actually directly correlate to our life in heaven, here on earth, for all of eternity. The reality is we are part of bringing heaven here now. What does this look like? And what does it look like to be a person who is bringing heaven here now? I think every time we're in conflict with someone and, and we, we, everything in us just wants to get back at them or gossip about them or avoid them, but instead we go to them and we seek reconciliation and forgiveness, I believe we're bringing heaven here now. I think any time that we pray or we're in the word or we confess and repent our sins to God and to others or we sing and we worship God, I believe we're bringing heaven here now. I think any time we have a chunk of money and we give self-sacrificially to someone who is in need or who is homeless or who is poor, we are bringing heaven here now. I think anytime we write or, or, or paint or sculpt or film or design or do anything that creates art that shows others more of who God is, we are bringing heaven here now. I think anytime we decide to stop idolizing our job or our money or our status or our phone and instead we, we, we reorchestrate our lives to where we fully love and care for the family that God's entrusted to us, I believe we're bringing heaven here now. I think anytime we fight for justice or we extend mercy, or we offer grace, any time that we show love or compassion or, or hope or peace, that we are bringing heaven here now. Man, church, think of how much more compelling our faith would be if instead of just trying to sell people a ticket to heaven, we actually lived our lives fully committed to bringing heaven here now so they could actually taste and experience the goodness that God has for them in the present. Now, don't get me wrong. God is going to build God's kingdom. Like, God's the one who does the work. God's the one who builds God's kingdom. But God has ordered things in such a way where the work that he's doing is through human beings. I mean, I don't get it. Why, why an all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipotent, all-holy all and good God would choose to have the plan be to partner with broken, messed up humanity? I don't know. I don't get it. I'm so glad he chose things to be done that way. 
because it gives us purpose and it gives us meaning, not just a hope for the future, but purpose and meaning right now that we are a part of bringing heaven here now. We don't have to wait to experience eternity after we die. We can experience it right now. Let's pray. God, you are such a good and loving God. I'm completely humbled by the fact that you would choose to to purpose things in such a way that, that you want to include humanity in bringing about your restoration and your redemption here on this earth. God, I'm so grateful for that. But God, I pray for everyone here who can hear my voice or who's watching online, who, who, who's reading this from prison, Lord, that, that you would stir up in us an excitement, a joy, an anticipation for the future hope that we have in heaven with you. But God, that it wouldn't just be something we think about later on, but it'll be something we actually live out currently. That heaven is not a, a, a faraway hope, but it's a present reality. That as, 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 we're, as we're living and, and, and serving and, and moving and, and in relationship with other people, we can actually bring glimpses of heaven here to earth presently. God, that's the mission you've given us. Let us do it faithfully. God, I pray this week that as, as we go home, as we drive to work, as, as we talk in our community groups, Lord, that you would show us specifically what are the ways that we can bring heaven here now this week today and that you would give us the courage to go out and do that we love you father and we pray these things in the name of your son's mighty and matchless name amen